You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the December edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. Starting with the editorial page, we have this letter from Peter Anderson. Who owns the Eagle anyway? For 33 years, Kizen Lockie and Janet Woodman owned and published the Crestone Eagle, a remarkable achievement for a newspaper in a relatively remote rural community. Two months ago, Crestone Eagle Community Media, CECM, purchased the newspaper. CECM is a 501c3 nonprofit organization set up in 2018 to explore the possibility of purchasing the Eagle and sustaining it as a community newspaper. Early on, longtime Crestone resident Frank Judson, an early supporter of the Eagle and longtime board member, led the effort to raise funds to purchase the paper from Kizen Lockie, who was nearing retirement. No buyers were forthcoming, and it appeared that Crestone might lose its newspaper. Judson's vision, along with the hard work and contributions of other Crestone locals, enabled the organization to purchase the paper in September of this year. Currently, Crestone Eagle Community Media has five directors on its board, all of whom are dedicated to sustaining a reliable local news source. Communities without newspapers, also known as news deserts, often face a deluge of digital misinformation, which can diminish and polarize civic discourse. CECM's mission is to produce trustworthy local news, promote community engagement, enhance economic development, and connect residents throughout Sawatch County. CECM's current board members and directors, many of whom have journalism backgrounds, believe in this mission. Director Marge Hoglin was a reporter and an editor in the Front Range, where she also published a Colorado women's magazine. Peter Anderson covered mountain beats for the Mountain Mail, Pueblo Chieftain, and the Denver Post. Gussie Fauntleroy has worked as a writer, editor, and community-focused editor and journalist in Colorado and New Mexico for 30 years. Heather Draper was a business reporter with a number of publications, including the Denver Business Journal and the Rocky Mountain News. Rick Hart brings a strong background in business and knows what it's like to live in a news desert after spending 10 years in Asia with few, if any, English-language news sources. The Crestone Eagle Community Media Board of Directors exists to support the Eagle staff in producing and maintaining a vital and viable paper. John Waters became editor of the Crestone Eagle on September 1st. To help sustain the Eagle, directors are instrumental in securing grant money from local and regional sources. So far, this has included support from Swatch County sales tax grants, as well as the Colorado Media Project, a statewide initiative dedicated to support and fund a healthy network of news-gathering organizations throughout Colorado. In December of 2021, CECM worked with the Media Project to raise $18,000 for the Eagle, most of it from local contributors. The Media Project then awarded the Eagle an additional $5,000. This year, CECM is one of more than 40 news organizations participating in a similar fundraising campaign around the state as part of the Colorado Media Project. Once again, we will be reaching out to our readers for support beginning this month. The Crestone Eagle exists because the community supports it. 
It's that simple. While the board is set up to steward and sustain the newspaper, we cannot do so without the community believing in and supporting the mission of providing reliable local news. Technically, Crestone Eagle Community Media owns the paper, similar to the way that the government owns the land within the boundaries of a national park. Like the National Park Service, CECM is caretaking a treasure that belongs to you, the community of readers and contributors who support it. And we have a letter to our readers, written by John Waters, editor of the Crestone Eagle. November at the Crestone Eagle was fantastic. I held several Coffee with the Editors sessions at the Cloud in Crestone and met with a number of readers. I also met with a few potential writers. In December, I will again host these drop-by sessions on, uh, one was on December, one will be tomorrow, Tuesday, December 13th, and another Tuesday, December 20th, from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Our web designer, Sally Seck, has redesigned our website. Our new website address has changed, ending in .org, not .com, to indicate our nonprofit status. Please visit us online at www.crestoneagle.org. Let me know what you think of the site. Comments and suggestions for improvements are welcome. Also in November, the Eagle benefited from hosting three interns from Colorado College, Catherine Beard, Matthew Silverman, and Haley Strom. Read their work in this issue. My thanks to them for their outstanding work and contributions to the Eagle. This was the first cohort of interns with whom I worked with as as editor. My hope is that we will host more interns from Colorado College several times a year. As editor, I'm increasing our literary bent, sharing writing from our many talented local writers. This issue features an essay in our new column, Crestone Creative Writing, as well as a book review of local writer Cheryl Rose Memoir Barbrat. If you are one or know of a local writer or poet whose work you think merits consideration for publication in the Eagle, please e- email me, editor at crestoneagle.com. The Crestone Eagle is a production of the nonprofit Crestone Eagle Community Media. Your support, through a donation or sustaining membership, helps fund the kind of reporting and writing that you, the residents of Crestone, Baca, and Sawatch County, deserve. Our new creative writing column is in need of a monthly sponsor, as are several other columns. Happy Holidays, John Waters, Editor. And our third letter to the editor. A call to action. After over 60 residents showed up for the public meeting on September 10th regarding the town of Crestone's proposed rate increase for water and sewer, it should have been apparent to the town board that this excessive increase in rates is a non-starter. The town board must be looking for alternative approaches to budget problems. In 2020, the people voted for a 0.5% sales tax increase to solve this problem, which it did indeed solve. In 2021, the people were misled into voting to change the allocation of the sales tax money, which had been dedicated to the water and sewer operating costs. Very few, if any, would have then voted to modify the allocation toward capital reserves if they were told they would be hit with a more than 100 to 300 percent increase in their bills. The push for returning to enterprise fund status is a false solution. DOLA, Department of Local Affairs, 
a state office, assured me it does not discriminate between enterprise funds and municipal water and sewer systems for grants. The only thing gained by having an enterprise fund is the ability to deny the voters a say in whether the fund can borrow money or not. The town board and the administration have been unwilling or unable to control the runaway spending of the town. There are alternatives and choices we can make now to stop this foolishness. Let your voice be heard. Email the board at townofcrestone at gmail.com or write the town. The address is P.O. Box 64, Crestone, Colorado 81131. Request a copy of the proposed budget. Attend the public hearing to be announced and make sure you show up to have a say in how your money is being spent on December 12th for the board meeting at Town Hall. This was written by Warren Stephen. And in front page news, in praise of public lands, America the Beautiful is the Biden-Harris administration's plan to conserve, connect, and restore 30% of our land and water by 2030. Earlier this year, as part of that plan, President Biden used his power under the Antiquities Act to create the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument in Colorado, which now protects 53,804 acres surrounding Camp Hale near Leadville to protect its historical and spiritual significance, stunning geological features, and unique wildlife and plants. The U.S. Army created Camp Hale during World War II for the elite 10th Mountain Division to train in and for mountainous conditions. In this edition of The Eagle, we feature two essays paying tribute to the gift of public lands. Dave Marston expresses his gratitude for public land on page 21, and Greg Goodland for the Rio Grande National Forest on page 25 gives thanks for all the recreational opportunities on public land. And turning to page 21 and Dave Marston's article, Public Land is a True Blessing. At this time of year, my family asks everyone around the table to say what they're grateful for. It puts new guests on the spot, so sometimes they just thank the hosts. An easy out that makes it harder for anyone else struggling for a good answer. I've been in that position, but this year, I know what I'm grateful for. That's because after years away, I'm back in the West, living in western Colorado near millions of acres of public land. If the love of wide open spaces defines a Westerner, then our region gives us lots to love. Alaska, which is 95.8% public land, may be king among all states with so much wide open space available to everyone. But Nevada is close behind at 87.8% and Utah is next at 75.2%. Idaho ranks third at 70.4% and Colorado has 43.3% with most of that land west of the Continental Divide. Until moving back west, I hadn't thought about public land being vital for anything as basic as cutting firewood, yet in most states, without much accessible public land, firewood is an expensive proposition. Here, from May through October in Colorado, it's ours for the permit, which costs about $4 to $10 for a cord of wood. That's enough to fill a full-size pickup bed four feet high. How much do you need? I'm told three cords add up to just getting by in Montana or Wyoming, but true winter wealth is more like six cords. While you're gathering wood, you can also scout for a Christmas tree for just $8 per permit, a world away from pricey conifers growing on a tree farm. 
Writer Dave Stiller's firewood gathering advice is to take blowdowns or the slash piles left by logging companies. Once you've finished gathering, according to the Forest Service, revisit and monitor the effects of your harvest. Become a steward of that place as you study the plants and how they respond. In other words, think like an owner who cares about the land over the long haul. Patrick Hunter, a sustainability studies student at Colorado Mountain Community College in Carbondale, thinks our public lands embody a generational legacy that's become a cornerstone of our democracy. From young to old, the diehard fans of public lands are volunteers from nonprofits who adopt a trail, constructing and advocating for them. Political cartoonist Rob Putnam tells of hiking a trail he had worked on for several summers and feeling an onrush of possessiveness. I own this land, he recalls thinking. In a way, he's right. We do own this land, though it is managed, even if we rarely see a ranger, by federal agencies. No one knows how many people have gone to public land with one solemn purpose, to throw ashes of their dead into a stream or launch them into the air from a mountaintop a practice that's allowable in most western states' national forests, forever connecting someone to that particular place outdoors. And for a lot of us, the best of life can be what happens during a summer of camping, mushroom hunting, fishing, wildlife watching, or just getting out there. Some hunters also become advocates for wildlife and public lands, championing public access. Still, the damage we've done to public lands in the west is visible and remains, Mining, drilling, dam building, nuclear bomb testing, dumping nuclear waste piles along rivers and other sensitive places. Because of that legacy, the Superfund program, finally established in 1980, aims to restore these lands, so some altered, some so altered that no real fix is possible. Public land also serves as a link to modern history. Throughout the West, we can still see architectural marvels built by indigenous peoples hundreds of years ago. And ghost towns that were once small cities continue to fascinate us as we think about the economic jolt that triggered their abandonment. Today, we're experiencing a similar jolt as increasing aridity alters how the West works or doesn't work. Meanwhile, as we struggle to figure out what we've got to do to adapt, at least I know what I would say this Thanksgiving. I am forever grateful to the public land that gives us room to breathe. David Marston, the author of this piece, is publisher of Writers on the Range. and The website is writersontherange.org, an independent nonprofit dedicated to lively discussion about the West. He lives with his family in Durango, Colorado. And turning to the other piece that was referred to, on page 25, written by Greg Goodland, Rio Grande National Forest, Land, Water, People, Thankful for Public Lands. As I was considering what to write for my holiday submission for this column, I had a great discussion with my colleague, Hannah, who has also written many of these articles, and we got to laughing. We were talking about turkeys both kinds. You know the proverbial turkey who does odd, uncool, and sometimes illegal things which earn them that label from the folks that witness their antics? We see many turkeys out on the public lands, and today I want to give some advice you can make sure that you don't get that label. Here are a few things you can do that really are cool. Fully extinguishing your campfires before you leave. Packing out all your trash not driving on a muddy road that will create ruts or erosion problems, and extending courtesy to other users on roads and trails as you pass each other. 
Do these, and you will avoid the dreadful label of turkey. Then we have the real turkeys from the genus Maliagris, which are native to North America. Said to have numbered in the hundreds of thousands on this continent at one point, they were reduced to a mere 30,000 birds in the 1920s. Due to successful conservation efforts by a variety of groups, the United States is now home to over 7 million wild turkeys, according to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We see them regularly now out on our public lands, and if you are fortunate enough, you may walk right below them at dusk, right after they have chosen their roost for the night. I'll admit, they scared me a little until I knew what they were. Many people hunt turkeys during the spring and fall, and of course, millions have that traditional turkey meal for Thanksgiving dinner. During these wonderful family gatherings, we often hear our family and friends proclaim what they are thankful for. So often, we all say we are thankful for the same things, the things that are on our minds the most and that we touch every day, such as our loved ones, our health, financial stability, and our basic necessities. Then we expand to the other material things that we are grateful that we have. Frequently, the next layer includes worldly considerations such as our community, nation, and beyond. This is where I will be spending a few minutes of thankful reflection this Thanksgiving. Approximately 43% of Colorado land is not privately owned. In the San Luis Valley, that portion of public land increases to 50%. Held in trust by various state and federal land management agencies, these lands are there for us to use as long as we do so respectfully. How amazing is that? We have open space that embodies our values here in the valley. Through these public lands, we embrace our rich cultural history that extends back thousands of years. We have the privilege to use these lands, generally speaking, any time we want. Through planned management actions, we can also use these lands for grazing, hunting, gathering firewood, and other activities, just as our indigenous people have for hundreds and thousands of years. Today, we use our public lands for more recreational activities as opposed to the needs-based uses from a thousand years ago. I, for one, am incredibly thankful for those opportunities. My life is fuller richer and more meaningful to me, and I hope my loved ones, because of the recreational opportunities that abound in this area. I encourage you all to join me in recognizing the value of our public lands in your lives and give thanks for them. I'm also thankful for turkeys, the edible ones, and remember to enjoy your turkey this holiday and not be the one and not be one when you are out on our public lands. Again, this was written by Greg Goodlin, who is the Rio Grande National Forest Public Affairs Officer. An avid outdoor enthusiast, you'll find him enjoying all public lands as often as possible. Now turning to food bank news, Crestone Food Bank's Good Cheer Project needs your support. It's going to be another tough holiday season for people who can't afford a good meal. In 2020, the Crestone Food Bank started a tradition of creating and distributing good cheer boxes to help meet the needs of struggling families. The boxes are filled with food necessities, plus special gourmet treats, home-baked goodies, handcrafted centerpieces, and other small gift items. Community members came together to support the effort in 2020 when COVID-19 precluded many from traveling to visit family, and again last year when time continue to be difficult for those with limited resources. Those who gathered to contribute various items, to paint and fill boxes, and to distribute boxes to friends and neighbors experienced great joy in this giving and benefited at least as much as those receiving. We need your help again this year. If you'd like to contribute, here are some ways to do so. 
Purchase one or more cases of selected food items from the Crestone Mercantile. Provide baked goods or small gift items such as knitted hats, mittens or socks, soap or candles to include in individual boxes. Donate $15 or more for the purchase of a small ham or turkey breast to feed one or more local family. Mail checks to P.O. Box 222, Crestone 81131. Volunteers are needed as well to help decorate and assemble boxes on Saturday, December 17th at Little Shepherd Chapel. Boxes will be distributed at 1 p.m. on Sunday, December 18th at the church. If you would like to help in any way, please contact Jerry Dean at the number 507-251-0923. Meanwhile, the food bank is pursuing all viable options in its search for a new location. If you have suitable space available, please contact Annalise Baer, Director of the Food Bank Networks of the San Luis Valley. Her number is 719-589-4567. And we have an event coming up in Skies Over Crestone in December. This was written by Kim Malville, December 13th and 14th. The Geminid Meteor Shower has as many as 150 meteors per hour under perfect conditions. Our dark skies in Crestone will be perfect for viewing the Geminids during the three hours after the sky fully darkens at around 6 p.m. and the moon rises about 9.30 p.m. The meteors will appear to radiate out of Castor, the twin of Pollux. The meteors are the remains of a rocky asteroid named Phaethon, not a dirty ice ball of a comet. The sun's heat is causing fractures in the surface of the Phaethon as the asteroid's orbit takes it closer to the sun than any other named asteroid, causing extreme heating to break up its surface and push tiny rocky fragments off its surface, some of which are destined to blaze briefly in the Earth's atmosphere. And now taking a look at the community calendar on Tuesday, December 13th, Sawatch County Clerk and Recorder Office visit to Crestone at Sawatch Sheriff's Satellite Office, 182 East Galena Avenue in Crestone from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Also on Tuesday the 13th, coffee with the editor at the Cloud Coffee Shop in downtown Crestone from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Join Crestone Eagle editor John Waters for coffee and conversation. And as mentioned, we have the Geminid Meteor Shower from 6 to 9 p.m. On Tuesday, December 13th, also Swatch Volunteer Fire Department meeting at Swatch Fire Hut from 6 to 8.30 p.m. And on Wednesday, December 14th, Crestone Food Bank Food Distribution at 191 East Galena Avenue in Crestone from 10 a.m. to noon. Also Wednesday the 14th, Crestone End of Life Project Monthly Meeting at Little Shepherd of the Hills Chapel in downtown Crestone from 7 to 9 p.m. On Thursday, December 15th, Ancient Valley Open Mic at Rio Grande Farm Park Education Building, 6935 SH17 in Alamosa from 6 to 9 p.m. on the 15th. Music and spoken word are welcome. On Friday, December 16th, Salida Makers Market at the Scout Hut, 210 East Sackett Street in Salida from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Featuring local artists, bakers, makers, farmers, and ranchers. And on Sunday, December 18th, church service at Little Shepherd in the Hills Chapel in downtown Crestone at 2 p.m. And on Tuesday, December 20th, we have Swatch County Commissioners Meeting at Swatch County Building, 501 4th Street in Swatch from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
and there will be another Coffee with the Editor on Tuesday, December 20th at the Cloud Coffee Shop in downtown Crestone from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Join Crestone Eagle Editor John Waters for Coffee and Conversation. And looking a little further ahead, on Wednesday, December 21st, we have the Winter Solstice. Winter officially begins at 2.48 p.m. on the 21st. This also marks the longest night of the year. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.